0: Well, good morning. So good to be back with you all. Uh, Sam forgot one announcement this morning. Uh, We're looking for a new youth minister. Um, He's called me old one too many times. And so uh, if you want to apply, um, we'd love to have somebody else in that position. But just kidding, Sam. His birthday was Friday, too, so he's actually old as well. So uh, happy birthday, geezer. Anyways, um... Honestly, the reason that I'm wearing a suit and Sam's not is because he cowered it out. Uh, We made a deal last night that Will decided to do that we all would wear a suit. And so it was like, okay, cool. And then looked at Sam and he chickened out. So I don't know what to say about that. But uh, (laughs) anyways, it is uh, good to be with you all this morning. If you'll join me, we'll just go ahead and open up in a word of prayer and uh, get things going. So Father God, we just love you so much. God, you're so good. Uh, As we just sang praises, you are the good, good Father. And God, it's all about who you are. It's all about you, God. This time right here, uh, our lives after this. Everything that we do is for your glory. But God, so often we try and make ourselves gods of our lives. We try and uh, do our desires. We we struggle, we, we give in to things. And so God, I just pray that you continue to work in our hearts. Continue to transform us to be your people. And God, may we just uh, live for your glory in everything. And as we get ready to just dive into this, this word that you are proclaiming, and God, I pray that it be a word that you are speaking through me. God, let our hearts not be distracted with what's going on, but God, let, let them just be focused on who you are. May you be glorified in this time. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this, amen. So do you remember being in school? Some of you might have to think a little bit harder. Uh, some of you are currently there. But if it, at least for me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one here who did this, but there came this time in the day in which I absolutely loved. And it was never really known when it was going to happen. But there came this time where the teacher left the classroom. And boy, was that a glorious moment. That teacher would go down, make copies or whatever. You really didn't like it when the teacher asked for a volunteer to go make copies. You liked it when the teacher went because it was enjoyable because the teacher left, which then meant we don't have to do anything. We can hang out, we can talk. You know, they left an assignment. They told us to do homework. We're not gonna. And so even what you do is like, it became a mission. You were like, all right, you man the post, keep an eye out. You're going to be listening. You got good ears. You got good eyes. Make sure when that teacher comes, you warn us that that teacher's coming back. And it always, well, not always happened, but most of the time that teacher snuck up on us. And it was like, dude, you had one job, but that person got distracted with the game that everybody else was playing. And so they did not alert you that the teacher was coming. And so the teacher just returns into the classroom and you're like, oh no, we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing. And then that's when the teacher says four words that you hate hearing. I didn't do the math. It might be more than four words, but they say, get out a piece of paper. All right, there's your four words. Pop quiz time. And everybody's like, huh? And they're like, you had an assignment, it's time for that pop quiz. Two words everybody hates hearing. Because the thing about a pop quiz is you don't know it's coming. You don't know what's gonna happen. Like they just pop it out of nowhere. It's cruel and unusual punishment is what it is. But that's what they do. They just say, hey, here, get out a piece of paper. It's time for you to show if you've been doing the work. It's time for you to reveal that you were doing the responsibilities that I left you to do. And we're told in today's passage, there's going to come a day where that teacher is going to return. And we're not knowing when it is. And what Jesus is wanting to do is he's wanting us to look and see, are we prepared for when the good teacher comes back? Because we don't know. We don't know when that time's going to be. Just like the teachers would show up and it'd be like, oh my goodness, we didn't think you were coming back for another five minutes. And they showed up and then they had this pop quiz and it was like, hey, did you study for the test? Are you prepared for my returning? Because I told you, this is, this is what you should be doing while I'm gone. This is the service that you should be completing while I'm gone. Are you ready for my return? Because again, again, As we look in our passage today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to come back. At a time and hour in which you do not know, are you going to be ready? Are you actually prepared? And honestly, this message today, I've been looking forward to, but I also believe that like, man, get your toes solid. Put on the steel-toed boots. Because I think Jesus is going to say some stuff that might have a lot of religious people Like, oh crud, what in the world, am I ready for that? And I hope that's what, by the end of this sermon, you're like, yes, come Lord Jesus, come now. And not like, oh no, please don't, I'm not ready. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24 as we're continuing on in this series of metaphorically speaking in which Jesus is sharing parables and we're breaking those parables down. And so Jesus is talking about his return and he is saying, hey, nobody knows. So Matthew chapter 24 verse 36, if you'll stand as we read our passage and the parable that Jesus says, he says concerning that day an hour. No one knows. That's the return of Jesus. He says, not even the angels of heaven, not even myself, the son, only the father. For as we, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days, before the day when Noah, oh, sorry, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were aware until, unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would, have not, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you. You may be seated. And so here we see Jesus, he's talking about his coming back. He is saying, hey, nobody knows. Like as Jesus is on this earth walking, his very words are, I don't even know. The angels don't know. God hasn't revealed it to me when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows. And and honestly, there are a lot of different views, and a lot of people get caught up in a lot of debate about when is Jesus coming. I mean, technically, Jesus has already come, like, eight different times, according to what people believe. Oh, Y2K, Jesus is going to return. He didn't return. Oh, we have, I think it was December 12th, 2012, when the Himal— not Himalayan, the Mayan calendar came to an end and everybody's like, the world is going to end. Jesus is returning. We have wars going on. We had COVID, 2020. Everybody thought this is where Jesus is going to come back and we're still here. Everybody likes to predict when Jesus is going to come. So far, everybody's been wrong. Nobody knows except for Jesus. And we get caught up in these debates even of like, hey, is it going to be pre-tribulation? where Jesus is going to come before revelation takes place, before the horrendous things in revelation happen? Is it going to be post-tribulation where we have to go through the seven years of just heartache and like a quarter of the people of the world die and there's wars and there's just the mark of the beast and all this crazy stuff going on? Is it going to be like mid-tribulation where some people say, you know, we'll be here for the beginning of it, but then towards the end we're not going to be here. Jesus is going to come in the middle. And then, like, I love this response pan tribulation it'll pan out we don't know it's just going to happen but the thing is everybody agrees on something all christians can unite and i think man like that right there told us nobody knows what we do know and what we need to focus on is that jesus is going to return is that he is coming back whether it's pre post mid pan pan's probably right it's gonna pan out He's coming back. And what Jesus is saying is that nobody knows when I'm coming back, but here's the thing. Am I going to find you faithful? Am I going to find you ready for me to return? Are you prepared for Jesus to come back? Are you ready if, if like in 10 seconds, 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 years, however long, are you ready for Jesus to come back and take us home? Because he is going to return. I mean, even people who don't believe in the Bible are seeing these crazy things that are going on, and they're like, man, you know, Revelation, it talks about, like, you're going to hear wars, rumors of wars, you're going to hear about earthquakes, you're going to hear about hurricanes, you're going to hear about pandemics, you're going to hear about plagues, uh, uh, famines, you're going to hear about all this stuff, and it's like, yeah, checklist, 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 like, it's looking pretty close. And even people who don't believe the Bible see it starting to line up and people are starting to look into this. He's coming. He tells us this, the very words of Jesus, John 14, chapter, two, uh, chapter 14, verse two. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And so Jesus says, hey, I left, I'm going because the reason that I'm going is to get a place ready for you, but I'm coming back. Just as that teacher leaves and then comes back, Jesus is saying even more certain than that teacher might might not come back, I'm coming back. Like I am going to return for you. It will happen. But here's the problem that we've seen. Jesus said that approximately two thousand years ago, generation after generation after generation has heard that said and thought he's coming back and then he doesn't come back I mean we've had y two k we've had twelve 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 we've had uh nine eleven which we're about to you know have the twentieth anniversary of or i don 't know if anniversary is the right word, but you know the twentieth year after that like We have so many times where it's like, hey, this is the mark where Jesus is coming. I mean, I remember talking to my mom because I freaked out about it growing up. It was like, oh God, please don't come back in my time. Like I've read Revelation, that stuff scared me. It doesn't anymore because I have hope Jesus is coming. Like he, as we sang about, like, man, he is greater. So it shouldn't worry believers if our faith is actually in him. But it's, it's like, I remember talking to my mom about like Jesus coming back. And I think it was right around 9-11, a little bit before that, even because Y2K and that stuff scared me. And I remember talking and she was like, you know, we thought Jesus was coming back when I was in eighth grade and the generations before her thought Jesus was coming back in their time. And so it's like, we see as time goes on, Jesus doesn't return. He hasn't come back. And so what happens What do you do, kids, when mom and dad leave and say, when we get back, we want the house cleaned? And then mom and dad are gone for like three hours. You don't clean it right away. You procrastinate. We are expert procrastinators. Like, why do today what we can do tomorrow? It's like, we're gonna push this off, push this off, push this off. We wait and wait, and then three hours comes, and it's like, man, they're still not back. We'll just push it off a little bit longer. And so the longer it takes Jesus to return, it seems like the less serious believers get about his return. In which every day we should be living as if Jesus is returning today. Every day we should be ready. I I was reading uh, this pastor that I like to listen to and read a lot. And he made the comment about that passage that says there's gonna be rumors of wars, plagues, natural disasters, famines. And he had a friend say, are are you going to do an end-of-time sermon series? And he was like, no, we're just going to preach, continually preach sermons to get God's people ready to come for his coming at any time. I mean, it's like, you know, we don't want to designate one series to it. It's like every day we should be preparing our hearts for Jesus to return. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for him to come in an instant, that he could not even let us finish our next breath. And in a heartbeat, in a split second, we will be standing before him. And we'll be giving an answer for how we lived this life, for where we put our faith. Because again, it seems like Jesus has forgotten about us. It seems like he, we're just left here. But he is going to return, and it's coming unexpectedly. So much so that Jesus, he gives us two little parables in this passage that we read. He said, first off in 43, know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, like every night we lock the door. Every night, I take a couple extra precautions just to make sure if somebody breaks into this house, they're going to regret it. And are we not doing that with Jesus? Are we not going home alone on this thing of Jesus' return if you don't know what home alone is? Kevin McAllister, the ultimate guy, like he didn't know when he was going to get broke into. He got left. He did have a little heads up. And so that guy went full Rambo on defending his home. Like he was the MacGyver of setting everything up for his house. I mean, like he had little cars, he broke light or uh, Christmas bulbs, like he had his house prepared because he knew something's coming and I'm going to do everything it takes to be ready. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming. Are you doing everything it takes to be prepared for my return? Jesus says, hey, this is what it's going to be like when I come, a thief in the night. You don't know when your house is being broke into, but you get prepared. So many people are like, well, yeah, I'll do that later. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get my life right with Jesus later. And Jesus is saying, you're not promised later. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised your next breath. Don't wait until later. How about now? This is the moment. Then he says the second parable. He says, first off, I'm coming at a time that nobody is going to expect. And then he goes on, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, Not only am I coming at a time when you're not going to know, but he also says, When I return, how are you going to be found? How are you? Because he left us with a mission. He left us with a purpose. And he's saying, I'm coming and I'm looking. Who's living out that purpose? Who is living according to what I have left you to live? Because I'm going to find two different types of people. Jesus uses so many analogies, sheep and wolves. He uses here wise and faithful servants. And then those who see, well, he hasn't come yet. I guess I'm just going to start living like the world. I'm going to blend in with everybody else. And Jesus says, when he returns, he's going to look and see who is that faithful servant. And it's going to come in a moment. We're not going to know when that happens. And he's seeing who's doing the work that he has left us to do while he's gone. And you might wonder, well, what's that work? Man, I just, I don't know what God's will is for me. What is the work? Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 40. This is the will of my Father. Beyond what job you have, beyond who you marry, beyond how much money you make, this is the will of God. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. The will of God is to find eternal life in Jesus. And then he says, I will raise him up on that last day. So if you want to know what the will of God is, believe in his Son. Look to the Son. Look at what Jesus did, the sacrifice that he paid and place your life in his hands. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39. He says, following that, here's the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, but the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so what you do is you give your life over to Jesus, place your faith in him, and then he says, all right, you live out of that by loving God more than anything, and then by loving your neighbor even more than you love yourself, just as much as you love yourself. God, I want to know what your will is for me. He's telling you. Yeah, but God, that's too vague. I want to know, and he's like, man, more, you got to get that figured out before you can get anything else figured out give your life over to him love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your strength and then even we're told all your mind and the second just like it love your neighbor as yourself i believe god cares more about that than what profession you have some people i think god truly has a specific profession for you i mean i honestly believe god has called me where i'm at other people i think it's hey are you fulfilling these commands Are you living inside this will? Great, go and live out your life for me. And so Jesus says, hey, I wanna be first, live for me. And so Jesus is saying, I'm gonna return. And when I return, I wanna find my servants doing my will, loving me and loving my people, loving their neighbors. Who's my neighbor? Even people who don't look like you, even people who don't believe like you. Even people who don't act like you, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? It is the Samaritan. Not the one that was doing all this religious stuff, the one who loved even people who insult you, persecute you, ridicule you. That is who your neighbor is. And so this is kind of where I want to make a little shift real quick. Because if Jesus returns and is looking for faithful servants, are you going to be found faithful? Now we're going into this application aspect of it. The parable is saying, hey, it's pretty much straightforward. Jesus is returning at a time that we're not going to expect. The application is, are you prepared for that? Are you going to be found faithful when he returns? And I'm not saying, are you going to be found a morally good person? Vody Bachman, he said it this way, and I love the quote. It's, it's heartbreaking, But it's so true. Hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have even been baptized. Why? Because not one of those things makes you a Christian. There are a lot of morally good people that will wind up in hell. Because when they approach God, I, I was listening to a sermon yesterday, and this, this pastor for 20 years had people come up and be like, he, he talked to one guy after a service one day, and as they were just talking, he was like, so why are you a Christian? And the guy said, because I was born in San Antonio, Texas. I mean, Texas is a great state, but it does not make you a Christian. Being an American does not make you a Christian. Being raised in the church does not make you a Christian. There's one thing that makes you a Christian, giving your life over to Christ. Being like Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ. Living for him. Because that's what I think a lot of other people are going to like wind up after this life, standing before God, and it's going to be news that they did not see coming. Because they thought moral goodness made them a Christian, and it doesn't. But then I also think that there's people who are going to wake up, and they're going to be standing before God, and they're going to be hit with the realization, I was wrong. Because America has given them a dumb, stupid belief that all I have to do is say a prayer and that makes me a Christian. It doesn't. That all I have to do is say, I believe in God, and that's enough. James chapter 2, verse 18 through 19. Someone will say, you have faiths, I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by works. You believe God is one? Good. You do well. Even the demons believe that. They're not saved. Well, I believe that there was a man named Jesus. He's not—the demons aren't in heaven. That so many people are going to just say, hey, I be- yeah, yeah, Jesus, good guy, he needed to die for my sins, and then I'm going to live how I want. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is Paul speaking, and he said this, I got to find it. He said, what shall we th- say then? Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? hey, I've been saved. Jesus, he died for my salvation. I can live however I want. I can keep sinning. I can keep sleeping around. I can keep just saying, God, yeah, you died for me, but I'm going to do what I want. Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's saying, "It's no, you can't, you don't. Because when you have had the Holy Spirit enter into your life, when you have placed your faith in Christ, what, it, what you used to love really becomes disgusting. You don't want it anymore. I mean, your, your flesh is struggling with it, but it's like, how can I love the very thing that killed Jesus, who I claim to have given my life over? Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just profess who I am. First John chapter two, starting in verse two. Jesus says he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse three And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his, keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. John is saying, hey, there's a lot of people out there who are saying, yeah, Jesus, I know him. Yeah, I, you know, I was baptized at camp one time, pretty sure that, that covered me. I'm, I took a bath, it, it worked out great. But they're not living according to God's word. They're not having fruit flow from their life. There's no works based on their faith. Not saying that you're saved by your works, but true faith produces fruit. And I would say, look at your life, because if all you're doing is saying, I believe, but there is no obeying God's word, I would challenge you to truly look at where you stand with God. Because you have not made him Lord of your life. You're still Lord of your life. And Jesus says, anyone who says that they know me will keep my commandments. If you say you know me, but you don't keep my commandments, this is not Andy speaking straight from the word of God. Whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Better bring your steel-toed boots. Because God is saying, look at your life. It's not about just a profession. It's about a life being lived for him. There are going going to be a lot of people who wake up on the other side of eternity who are saying, all I did was I, I said a sinner's prayer. I made a profession that really I didn't believe, but I was holding on to that. Because America wants to say you can love God and love the world at the same time. And that is the popular thing to say. And it is going to popularly send people to hell because God's word does not say that. God's word says to love me is to die to yourself daily. God's word says to love me is actually to live your life for me. Not to just say something and then have no fruit from it but to truly live for me. Jesus, he says this in Matthew chapter seven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, hey man, they profess. They're saying your Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do morally good things? Did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of people who just said, I profess you, your Lord, Lord, but did not do my will. And I'm going to say, I don't even know you. To do my will is to build your life on me, not the things of the world, but on who I am. You see, this is how I would define faithfulness, because Jesus is saying, I'm going to return. I'm looking for my servants who have been faithful to me. I would define faithfulness this way. Living out your belief. Living out your belief of who Jesus is. Faithfulness is not just professing. It's not just saying a sinner's prayer. It's a life lived out of that. It's living out your belief based on that. Ephesians 2, 8 8 through 10 tells us. I have it somewhere. There we go. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So he's saying, hey, you want to know how you're saved? It's by faith. It's by grace through faith, placing your faith into Jesus. And we like to stop there. That, hey, sweet, it's not a result of works. That means I don't have to do anything. And and it's true. You don't have to do anything to be saved. But I think verse 10 continues on with the importance. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus Christ. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It doesn't say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not a result of work, so stop trying, stop doing anything, just live however you want. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not a result of work, so that no one can boast, so that I can't stand up here and say, it's because of how well I live my life. And you can't stand down there and look at me and be like, well, it's because I cussed less than him. Or I drink less than him, but that we all say it's because of Jesus, but we were created for good works. We have a purpose. God left us with a service to do. I mean, Paul, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I would remind you, he's already talking to people who are saved. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, faith found in Jesus Christ alone, which you received so you heard it, but notice what he says, in which you continue to stand. You're holding on to that gospel more than anything right now. It is still Jesus, but it is a life lived for him as well. It is not just profession and calling it good. I want to read some stats for you. This is Barna Institute. And they do really big surveys, and this is six years old, but what they say is that the chart is on a downhill progression. But they said six years ago, they did a survey of who Jesus is. 92% of Americans believe Jesus was a real person who actually lived. That's of America, of of their survey. So, you know, it's a little cluster, but representing a whole. 92% of people said, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. 56% believe Jesus is God. 26% believe he was only a religious leader. 18% weren't sure who Jesus was. 52% strongly to somewhat strongly agree that Jesus lived the perfect life. 46% strongly disagree or somewhat disagree that he actually was a sinful person. 62% have made a personal commitment to Christ that is still important today. And it's like, man, those are great stats. Like, I like seeing that. But I also feel like, and we're told, we're not judging outsiders, but we are told judge those within the church. That we look at your life and we say, hey, you believe in Jesus, how's it lining up with his word? Not how's it lining up with what you think or feel, how's it lining up with the word of God? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you don't believe me, read that. It talks about, hey, I'm not to judge the one outside the church, but the brother or sister inside the church, yes. And so of that 62% that say, I have given my life over to Christ, it's like, how is your life lining up with what God's word says? Are you living for him? Are you going to be found faithful, living out that belief of who God is? Because here's the thing. You're not going to find a sinner's prayer in the Bible. If you're looking back at your life and it's like, hey, why are, why are you a Christian? First off, it's not a nationality thing. You're not going to be able to say, because I was American, born in Kansas, the great state. Or even a better state, Texas. Oklahoma people get in too, by grace, you've been saved. But it's like, you know, whatever you look at, you're not going to, I'm kidding about Oklahomans. But, you know, whatever you say, it's not like, you're not going to find that in the Bible. It's not nationality. It's not a sinner's prayer. You're not going to be able to look in the Bible and say, well, because I had somebody say this prayer over me. You're not going to be able to find in the Bible that it's because one time you jumped in a pool at a camp and got wet, but there was no fruit behind it. What you're going to find in the Bible is that a life placed in the hands of Jesus, placing your faith in who he is, the sacrifice that he made it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is what you'll find. But I feel like we stop there all the time and it's a disservice To say that that is is all it takes. But it's a disservice to say God requires nothing of you. That you can go and drink, cuss, sleep around, live a sexually immoral life, and God is looking at you and saying, ha ha, so proud of you. Instead, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to return at a time that you don't know. And what's going to happen is I'm going to be looking for those who are faithful, who are tending to the work, because there is that unfaithful servant who's thought, man, he's delayed. I'm going to beat all my fellow servants, and I'm going to go and drink and sleep around with the world, and I'm going to live that life. And Jesus says, when I come back and I find those people, they will be cut to pieces like the hypocrites and they will be thrown into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, and we are told that is the second death, the eternal lake of fire. Because they might, have, they might have been like, yeah, I'm a servant. I mean, I worked for him. I professed him. But there was no relationship. Jesus tells us what it is to love him. Again, not my words, Jesus's. To love him. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. First John chapter three, verse 10. By this is, it, is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep my word. You'll obey my commandments. Not to earn his love, but as a result of what he did for us. Martin Luther, he said it this way, we are saved by grace alone, but a saving grace is never alone. We are saved by grace through faith. And as James said, Show me your faith without works. I'll show you what that faith looks like. It's a dead faith. Even the demons have that faith and they shudder. We are saved by grace, and a saving grace is never alone. You know, there was a movement a couple decades ago, I feel, and it's carrying over. That the goal is if we can get people baptized, that's what saves them. And again, I feel like that's a disservice. Because I feel like as the church, eternal life has been the end goal. It's like, hey, we got to save people, so we got to get them to profess, and we got to get them to live in eternity. But I feel like we leave out a very important part, the most important part, of what eternal life is. Eternal life is Jesus. Jesus. Eternal life without Jesus is not eternal life. Jesus tells us, John seventeen three, he is praying his high priestly prayer, and he says, God, may they have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you and the one whom you've sent, your son, Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. And I believe that so often what the church has done in a general American sphere is, let's get them baptized and then we're good. And it's like, no, that's the beginning. Once we get them to place their faith in Christ, there is a life lived with them of sharing the gospel over and over, because I don't know if you need it, but you do. And I do. I need to hear it's the gospel today. I need to hear that it is because of what Jesus did, because the more I hear it's what Jesus did, the less I look at myself and the more I just want to live for him. Because the less I realize it's not about me, man, I'm a horrible person. And the more I realize it is all about him and I just want to live my life for him. It's about building relationship with Jesus. Because I believe that one of the great deceptions that Satan has put inside the American church is you can profess and nothing has to change. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, I want your life. I want everything about you. I want your life so much that I want you to die to yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. I want you to die to your desires for family. I want you to die to your desires for social status, money, careers, whatever it is. Die to it. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus wants. He says he wants to change everything for his glory. Are you prepared for his return? Because he's coming at a time that we don't know. The great teacher going to return. And there's going to be a pop quiz. And he's going to say, hey, on a scale of one to ten, how certain are you that you should get in heaven? And if it is anything other than Jesus, then it's wrong. But I also believe that Jesus is going to return and he's going to be like, were you found faithful or are you just holding on to, I said a sinner's prayer and no life was truly ever given to Jesus because Jesus says, I want your morning, your afternoon, your evening, your rising, your setting. I want your life. I want all of it. I don't want to be tied for first in your life. He says that'd be considered idolatry. I want you. Jesus desires you, and in that, he desires a life given over to you. And so I encourage you, do a heart check. Have you been living for Christ? Does your life show? Not that you're earning it or working for it, but does your life, when you look into the fruit of your heart, when people speak into your life, is it a life lived for Christ? Are you being set apart? Are you holy? Or are you being accustomed to the world and blending in and saying, hey, yeah, but you know, I got that get out of hell free card and I'm going to throw that up when Jesus returns. And there's no life lived for it. Jesus wants all of you. He's saying, hey, salvation is found in me alone. But that's where the work begins. Then let's go and do a work for me. And through that, you're going to find something far greater than anything that this world has to offer. Father God, you are good, and God, I thank you that salvation is found in you alone. And God, I pray, first off, that if anybody heard anything other than that, if they heard that it's workspace, God, shut that lie down. And God, may I be repentant if that did not come clearly. But God, you call for us to do so much more. Over and over in your word, you tell us that we are to love you and to live for you. And God, this world is trying to deceive and get lukewarm, whitewashed Christians who just profess you and live for the world. And God, may it not be. May we combat that lie. That you want to be Lord of our life. And so God, I pray for the hearts of the people in this room, the people who are hearing my voice, that if there be anybody who is just thinking, yep, It's because I said something, but there was no heart change. God, convict us. So that when you come, God, may we just faithfully be found just living for you. And God, may we be ready. May we daily be looking forward to your return. But also may we take that serious because there are people who have either believed the lie or have just totally denied you entirely that you are telling us to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that you have commanded, baptizing them. God, may we take that commission seriously to just go and do your work. God, work in our hearts. Continue to convict us. Transform us entirely to be your people. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.